Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajasad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for, for trying something new uh, in the new year. Um, ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. You can find our work all over the internet. In fact, I'm going to ask Ben to plug a couple of the recent publications he's written for. Go for it, Ben. You can find my work at Driving Line, at Inside Hook, at Haggerty, and Motor Trend. And you can find my work at Autotrader.ca, as well as EV Pulse and TechSpot. Ben, this week we've got a, a, a very drastic, contrasting set of cars to talk about. And you know what? There's some news that we've uh, glossed over in the past that I think our listeners are hoping we'd cover. So let's get started. You have a brand new, uh, let me guess, BMW. Yeah. How did you guess, Sammy? <laughs> well, you told me before the podcast started, so I had a heads up. No, but you know, uh, around Christmas time, uh, or the holiday time, I should say, because um, it's it's not just Christmas. Uh, <laughs> You're okay there, Ben. No, but it's not just Christmas for me. If it, like it's it's extended period in Canada, so here's how it works. I actually wanted to talk about a few things about uh, press cars this morning because it's something we don't often cover. But around the holidays in Canada, um, a lot of the press fleet shut down, so uh, which is understandable. And this year it was a little more complicated than most because we have a lockdown in Montreal right now that is affecting any businesses that aren't essential. So when you get a press vehicle, typically the loan is for a week, but around the holidays that can be extended. And I'm actually in this week's press vehicle for three weeks, Sammy. It's a, it's wow. an, an extended period. But uh, I also wanted to mention that uh, something that happened... that deal. Is that what you want to mention? How What's that? You got that deal and I didn't get that deal. Well, you, you got to ask for it, Sammy. Yeah, but um, you never get something you don't ask for. But uh, the other thing I wanted to mention about press cars is there's a certain amount of mileage that each automaker allows to happen on a vehicle before they remove it from the fleet. Like They want us to be driving new cars. And some companies are more aggressive about this than others, aren't they, Sammy? Yeah, definitely. Uh, some are, are very strict and others are a little bit looser with the rules there. Yeah, so, so generally you won't see a car with more than 7,000, 8,000 miles. Like that's, that's really the high limit for most companies but there's always a few that will push it to like 15,000 miles and you yeah. end up with a car that's that's been well used um and and i i say that with like a, a hint of jokingness but i think press car mileage is a little more hardcore than standard mileage because people tend to use them to try and get everything they can out of the vehicle they try to test every single aspect of what the vehicle does whereas in normal commuting you're probably only going to be driving it a certain way you know it's 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 you're not going to be jumping it or filling it with with a bunch of junk to haul around within a very short period of time right so um all of this to say i've been trying to drive the genesis g90 <laughs> for a year now and okay Three times it's been removed from the fleet about a week before I was supposed to drive it. And it's almost always because of mileage. Like it just hits that magic mileage window. And then even if you have a booking reserved on that vehicle, you don't get to drive it because the companies, they take them back from the fleets and they typically auction them off. So that whole intro was just to say, I hope one day I get to drive the Genesis G90. I'm not sure when that will happen. I think this is the second generation now of G90 that I've been locked oh, out of. So uh, it's it's a it's a dream deferred, Sammy. Yeah, I understand. So what are you what have you got during the uh, during the holidays instead? What is the situation? So I'm spending a lot of time with the BMW X5 45e. 
And are you still dreaming about that G90 that you haven't been able to drive yet? Uh, I, I dream about it a little bit, but you know, it breaks my heart a tiny smidge every time I think or say the words G90. So I've had to really tone it down. I've been taking some melatonin to try and get it out of my, uh, my system. Okay. So, um, let's talk about this BMW a little bit. Uh, what, what is the big deal here? The big deal is it's a hybrid. The bigger deal is it's a plug-in hybrid. And the biggest deal is it's a completely new drivetrain compared to the previous plug-in hybrid version of the X5. Which okay, was- so talk to me about this full like name nomenclature here. It's an X5 X drive E drive? What is it? It's X5 X drive 45E. Uh, X-Drive just means all-wheel drive. 45E is a nonsense number that's made up to (laughs) – well, no, it is. It's made up to represent the fact that it has an an electric – Four wheels and five doors, essentially. Yeah, of course. Um, The previous model was the 40E, and it had a two-liter four-cylinder engine, but they replaced that with a three-liter straight six. Oh, no. Yeah, it's a it's a lot more powerful. This is 81 more horsepower and 111 pound-feet more than the previous generation of this vehicle. So, they put a bigger engine, but this is an electric car, so shouldn't we be hoping that they in- improve like the electric capabilities of this car? Yeah, so that came along with it too. Uh, the previous version, again, had a 9.1 kilowatt-hour battery. This one has a 24 kilowatt-hour battery, which is a huge improvement. And since it's a plug-in hybrid, you get a really usable, real-world usable amount of electric-only driving with the X5. And and Sammy, I've yeah, you teased it. You teased it a bit last week. I am shocked because this is a big, heavy vehicle. It is everything you expect an X5 to be. It, it comes with uh, a good amount of luxury gear. And uh, all the you know the, all the heavy stuff that we've come to love in terms of features and equipment, but I can drive this almost forty miles or fifty miles with uh, sorry that's not correct because kilometers so around thirty thirty five miles on the battery yeah. alone. Nice. Okay, that's pretty good actually. That's that's reasonable, and it reminds me of you know when I was talking about the um, Rav Four Prime a little bit. Uh, ago when I was saying, you know, the extra power and the extended range really helps make this car feel like something special. Is that the same way you would feel about this X5? Well, it's, it's, it feels like something special, but I think for different reasons. Um, a lot of the time when I get a plug-in hybrid like this, like a luxury plug-in hybrid, I have no illusions about how much actual battery range I'll get because a lot of these are vehicles are performance oriented, which means if you get your foot in it, the uh, the electric motor is quickly joined by the gas motor. Like it kicks in really fast. With the X5, so far, I would say 99% of my driving has been electric only, uh, hmm. which is incredible. I haven't got it. Any- so hold on. That's even more incredible when you consider the temperature too, right? Yeah, it's been regularly below freezing the entire time I've been driving this vehicle. And uh, the gas motor has only clicked on for about a kilometer, so half a mile, (laughs) Um, which is important for another reason. A lot of times when it's cold, uh, plug-in hybrids will kick on the gas motor to generate heat for the climate control system. And the BMW does not do that. And not only does it not do that, but it stays warm inside the vehicle even when it's cold outside, which is something uh, a lot of early plug-in hybrids had trouble doing. I remember the um, Chevy Volt was a good example of a vehicle that relied a lot on the seat heaters to keep you feeling warm while the cabin itself was pretty chilly. But now we're at the point where the battery packs heat management is good enough that it can rely on that instead of the internal combustion to keep the climate toasty. Interesting. Okay. So what are we, what, uh, what else can you say about this vehicle? Cause I've always been pretty, 
pretty um, pretty positive on the X5 as a whole. Um, and especially, it's, it's always had a really good uh, set of powertrains to to deliver that you know that feeling. It's got a really high end um, interior as well. And the I think the only thing that I've ever complained about is probably the braking and the transmission. Is there anything that has made the X5 better or change your your tone on you know the the general impression of that nameplate well the 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 i have to go back to the ev performance again because that's pretty much all i've experienced uh i haven't been you know flogging the vehicle but you can go almost 85 miles an hour on electric power alone and it does it works like you're on the highway you want to accelerate and pass and you do it and the gas motor does not kick on it's really, really good about keeping the gas motor out of the picture. And I, I feel like I keep stressing that, but that's that's really impressive to me. It, it That 30, 35 mile range, it's double what the previous vehicle had, even though this is a 389 horsepower, 443 pound feet of torque SUV. So everything about this package is, is just really impressive to me. And the fact that I can get all of my, you know, around town driving, my highway driving done on the battery... Um, and I don't have a a, regu- a a 220 volt plug for the outside, 240, whatever, for the outside of my house. I just am relying on 110. And I can still plug it in and recharge it overnight with no problem. So it's it feels to me like the first real world BMW plug-in that, that's reasonably priced. Like the, the i8, I thought was pretty real world as well. But I mean, that's supercar in terms of pricing. But yeah. the X5, it, it starts at about 66000 which okay. is maybe six to seven grand more than a base X5. So you're not paying a lot more if you want to go this route. That's not, yeah, that doesn't seem to, that doesn't seem like a, like a lot to ask, right? No, it's not prohibitively expensive. And the, the, the cool thing too is um, you don't give up a lot of cargo space for that bigger battery. I mean, even though it's so much larger, so much more energy density, you only give up just under a cubic foot of cargo space in the back. And, and I've packed this thing up and you do not notice the difference. I forgot to mention as well the um, that pricing doesn't include any incentives or or rebates. No, that's the straight MSRP from BMW. Interesting. That's a pretty good deal, man. I think um, for anyone who's who's looking, because again, as I said before, the X5 is one of the better products in this segment. Um, I think it goes really well. Um, it, it 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 toes off against the the Cayenne and the um, Mercedes GLE, and I think the X5 is probably the better pick. I think the only car that I think gives it a run for its money is the new Genesis GV80, a car that Ben will probably never get to drive. I, I you know what? I made a booking when 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 Genesis called me to break my heart about the G90, which I appreciated them doing. They reached out to let me know um, I didn't just show up and and cry a single tear but uh they booked me for the gv80 in march so fingers crossed that that happens okay good we'll keep an we'll keep an eye on that gv80 uh, countdown starts now <laughs> yes and then um the other thing though is that bmw is eager to offer a lot of gimmicky expensive features and i think if you can stray away if you can stay away from those you're going to end up with a with a purchase experience that is probably pretty positive yeah, I mean this the the one I'm driving, the price is higher than base obviously because yeah. it's a press vehicle so we typically get a lot of equipment. But I mean even for base models, you're going to get two 12.3 inch LCD displays on the dash. You get the adaptive LED highlight highlights, adaptive LED headlights, you get a panoramic sunroof. It's got CarPlay and all that stuff. You get a fair amount of safety gear, which is something that BMW and other luxury companies weren't good at earlier in in the uh decade, I guess, where you had to pay more for stuff like lane departure and blind spot but that's all included uh with this model but you can add things like mine has an m sport package i'm not sure why you would want that 
you well, have- you want your electric, your your heavy plug-in electric vehicle to not look <laughs> heavy and and electric, I guess. And I've got like the glass shifter, so that's the executive oh, yeah. package. That yeah. one that can blind you if the sun hits it just right. Yeah, with the head-up display and the gesture controls, I've got all that in there too. So there's a lot of gear. So the, even even a fully loaded version uh, gets really decent range on the battery. And 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 uh, I think mine has laser headlights too. Not to brag, but laser headlights um, is a thing. So. My overall impression is this is a very good version of the X5. Uh, it's hard to find a bad version of the X5. I think maybe the X5M is the one I would not buy, which we've talked How about. How weird is that, right? <laughs> it's just so unnecessary. I, we, we talked about that earlier in the year. But uh, this I mean, is... but this is a – we're a pair of – I mean, I would call us uh, automotive enthusiasts. And the X5M is the product that's built for the automotive enthusiast. Ah, it is not, like... though. It is not built for the automotive enthusiast. The X5M it's... is built for the people who need to have the most expensive X5. That's who it's built for. Okay, yeah, that's true. Exactly. And, and the most excessive X5. Yes, yes. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that vehicle. I just don't think it's any better than any other version of the X5 because I will never take it on a racetrack, even though I have taken it on a racetrack. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I laugh about this because, again, I said the one of the few products that uh, gives the X5 a run for its money is the Genesis GV80, which does not have a high-performance or even hot-performance, like lukewarm performance version of the car. It seems like a, a very capable, family-oriented luxury well, vehicle. And we talked about like the, the, the Lincoln Aviator, which is right. also, I think, a vehicle in this conversation. I don't think it's at the level of the X5, but it's not a huge step down if all you want to do is have a very comfortable family cruiser, and it, it has the advantage of three rows. Right, right. Um, like a, a so- usable third row. I mean, I, I think this is – it's a really good um, discussion. I really enjoy – I mean, I will admit I do enjoy talking about the X5. It's always surprised me at how capable it is for such a large luxury vehicle um, and something that definitely feels built around the idea of a high-quality, high-luxury uh, vehicle and with few compromises, I think, is the best is the best way to put it. Yeah, that's a really good way. That's a really good way to describe it. Uh, anything else you want to add about the X5? Is there any competition that you've you've? Because t- I I know the the Cayenne and the uh, Mercedes GLE I think offer um, electric variants as well. So it's not like that the X5 is playing in a class of its own right now. I haven't but, driven the plug-in or the the hybrid version of the Cayenne in quite a while. Yeah, um, I remember it being fine if a bit slow. I it, but that was that was quite some time ago. But I think the X5 is just a better all-around vehicle. Uh, I think that if you are in the market for an X5, you should test drive this version. I think it should be on your list because if you start to load up a base X5, it won't take long for you to get to the $6,000 mark in terms of options. So you're already going to be close to what is already a well-equipped version of the SUV. So give it a chance and chances are you're going to end up saving a ton of money on your commute because most people aren't driving 30 miles a day and they're going to be able to just stay in EV mode the whole time. And I don't know how much of a concern that is for someone who's shopping for an X5 in that price range, but it's not an unreasonable upgrade in terms of cost. Okay, good call. Um, I, th- I think you're right. I think this should be the best of all of, of like all worlds, right? Like it should be the best all around uh, X5. Version. And if you if you get your foot in it, I mean, it's still really fast. I mean, that's somebody who said they didn't even get to experience too much of the gas uh, the the gas yeah. oriented yeah, like a- even in EV mode. Like I am happy with the performance of the X5. That's really interesting. I'm all about that. That's cool. 
Um, I had a car that. Can I, do you mind if I th- if we switch gears here and talk about no, the, I mean, the car Sammy, that I tested? Sammy Hadjassad podcast is is ready to go. Yeah, here we go. Um, the vehicle I drove is a vehicle that I think both of us forgot even existed. This is the Toyota Avalon, 2021 Toyota Avalon, which has been redesigned recently um, using the you know the the now ubiquitous. A TNGA platform, which is underpinning almost every Toyota product. I can't out. wait for the TNGA Tundra. <laughs> I think it's on, it's on the way. It's going up against um, the the Ridgeline. The 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 interesting wrinkle this this time around is the model that I drove was an all wheel drive equipped version of the Avalon, which is all new. And you'll probably remember me talking about an all wheel drive equipped Camry a couple of months ago. And I have to, I had to ask, you know, what is the big deal here when you're talking about a, a Toyota Avalon all-wheel drive when you've got a Toyota Camry all-wheel drive? And the reason I'm saying that is despite the fact that both the Camry and the Avalon are offered with a number of powertrains, including a four-cylinder, a hybrid, and a V6, the all-wheel drive versions of both of those cars are only offered with a four-cylinder motor, which seems like a bad fit, in my opinion, especially on the Avalon, which is meant to be a step up from the Camry Wait, and I would have that back that up. The drivetrain yeah. is restricted to four cylinders. The it, for the all-wheel drive model. What is the reasoning for that? I think it, it must be packaging. I mean, but but at the same time, you know, we have V6 versions of other TNGA vehicles, like say the um, Highlander. I guess is the other one, but that's a much bigger car, right? Yeah, I, I assume that they're just grabbing the drivetrain from the Rav Four. Like, is that, is that what's happening? I think that's right. Um, and uh, I, I will admit that for the most part, the new Avalon is really well built. It has an ex- for the for the first time in what feels like forever. It has a really nice exterior. Um, I had a limited model, and, and and while on photos, it looks like it has this massive grille. Um, it really doesn't look that that ostentatious, um, and I, I'm really impressed with that. And then when I, I get want everyone the- to see me driving my Avalon, though, Sammy, I don't want to have a hidden. I don't want to live a hidden Avalon lifestyle. I'm sure i mean i guess so the avalon plays this really important role of being a high quality toyota without like the that that last step before you decide i should probably get a a, a full-fledged luxury premium car like a lexus right i guess so i'm not sure i feel like avalon is targeted at people who want a large comfortable car but feel like the lexus brand is too ostentatious or feel like any luxury brand is something i don't think that like it's a stepping stone to a luxury brand i think it's an alternative okay then i think that then then what i said still stands this grill might look wild in in photos but in person it is actually quite um fetching i think is the best way to put it my other my main issue here is the tnga platform has has rarely produced a car with a ton of interior space, specifically a car, because I think that the SUVs and the crossovers are pretty spacious. The Camry, the Corolla, uh, both feel a little tight in terms of interior space, specifically headroom. And if you're running into that same issue with the Avalon, which is how I feel about it, when I when I get in and I can still feel my, my hair brushing the headliner, I'm not totally sold on this being a very large vehicle however the rear seat space is is much more accommodating than the other than the camry that's the big deal here you would you would upgrade into the avalon specifically for that rear seat space and the interior design i think is much is a much nicer step up from the camry 
Um, I think that's one of the biggest disappointments with the Camry is interior design, especially buttons and, and switch gear can feel a little um, cheap and plasticky. But the leather and the switch gear inside the, the Avalon is pretty good. One thing I will mention to you, Ben, there is no digital uh, and there is no digital clock to be found anywhere on the dashboard. I don't know where they hit it. I imagine it's somewhere that we can't find it or, I think or behind. You fold down the rear seat and it's <laughs> it's embedded in the bulkhead. Yes. Um, but again, my, my biggest disappointment with this vehicle is for what feels like a stately, a stately sized vehicle, something that is large, comfortable, spacious, it's, and now a little bit more accommodating in, in poor weather with this all wheel drive system, it should have that V6 because the 3.5 liter V6 that Toyota makes is pretty good. Um, and to pair it with a, with all wheel drive would probably be a really good um, fit. I'm, but, I'm looking forward to that. Now, the thing is, though, we already know that V6 sales for Camry are 10%. Okay. So of total of the total volume of Camrys that go out there, which is, you know, still a big number because they sell a lot of Camrys. But in this grand scheme of things, not a very big number. Totally. It's probably similar with Avalon, which kind of makes sense for them to avoid creating a bespoke drivetrain with all-wheel drive. Um, this kind of feels like, you know, they wanted to have all-wheel drive so they could say they were competitive with vehicles like Legacy, I guess. Or that doesn't really make sense. It's not it's not the same size. No. But maybe with some other semi-luxury vehicles or maybe not necessarily competitive, but, you know, a step up like Maxima. I mean, Maxima doesn't offer all-wheel drive, but... But it comes solely in V6 form. Yeah, so it's it's kind of an alternative. Uh, it's the Avalon occupies such a weird space in the market, especially already. right, especially right now, because there are so few large sedans. Um, and one of the most popular ones, I think, would be the Chrysler and Dodge 300 and uh, and Charger, and those can be had. First of all, they're ancient um, in terms of technology or, or chassis, but. They, they are so easily available and they have so many different drivetrain variants, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, those are pretty popular. Well, I mean, but even them for all-wheel drive, they're, I believe they're currently restricted to V6. Well, that's a V6, and I'm talking again, a four-cylinder V6. It's a very interesting um, split here. And I, I totally understand. I would have imagined that with this being the best sedan in the Toyota lineup, like in terms of like the, the top equipped sedan in the total lineup it should come with everything but that isn't the case this isn't how they they outfitted it so as a result you're getting a a, like just to reiterate it's 200 horsepower um and i will admit i think the avalon is surprisingly lighter than you think it would be at at just 3700 pounds um i think that's gotta be like what 2000 pounds lighter than the x5 you drove so it isn't it isn't the heftiest sedan out there, but it just didn't feel very quick at all. And I did have um, maybe it had something to do with the the winter tires, but I had a little bit of like a grittiness to the steering at low speed, something that felt a little um, unrefined is the best way I can put it. I think you just but, like using the word gritty. Maybe is this the second time I've used it this podcast? I know you just you know it's 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 just a word that is very personal to you. Oh yes, of course. Um, I'm I'm curious to see how much longer the Avalon has. I thought I I would have thought that Toyota would have phased it out by now, but this has to be the last generation of the product. Well, right? uh, let's you know just in terms of putting uh, a crystal ball in front of the Avalon's future, they sold uh, last year in in the U.S. 2019 they sold 336,000 Camrys. 
Yeah, 300,000 Camrys in the U.S. That's yes. a lot. It's almost – I think now the RAV4 is now selling it though, right? Well, yeah, perhaps. But, but but focusing on the Avalon, they sold, that same year they sold 27,000 Avalons. Oof. <laughs> so – Not good. No, this is not an important vehicle. But I mean, every car other than the RAV4 has to be – in the Toyota lineup has to see that kind of discrepancy, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, the the Forerunner sells really well. I'm sure the Corolla sells really well. Okay, fine. But the Avalon, yeah, the Corolla. Ah. Yeah, let's let's take a look at Corolla here because I was I'm curious to see how how well it does in general. But uh, yeah, Corolla did three hundred four thousand as well. Holy moly! So Avalon is really on the outside looking in. Um, <laughs> no one is really buying it. I want to double check those numbers because it's but it just crazy it, to me. it does. Like I said, I always thought it was because again, the Avalon. If you were to look across the the, the street and, and go to a Lexus dealership. There's a lot in common with the Avalon and the Lexus ES, which is a very solid product as well, um, which I think is a little bit more attractive. This I think car, the ES is a little bit smaller, though, and and um, just better. I don't know. It's that's right. I, I do believe had that the, I do believe that the Av, the ES and the Camry are now more closely related than the Avalon and the ES, which I think was the case in the past. So the Avalon has always kind of had a reputation as an older person's car. And if you look back, I'm looking back on historical sales data, and it's never done. The, the best it ever did was not like a hundred thousand units, and that was in two thousand. And then again in like 2005, it did 95,000. But since that point, it, it, there was a huge drop off. And then with the redesign, they went back up to 70, 67,000 for a couple of years. And it's just been straight down since then. So you can really. Have you looked at the 2000 Avalon to imagine that 100,000 of these were on the road at one point? But, just look at this. This is the most ridiculous looking car but the I've reason, ever seen. <laughs> the reason that happened though is because in those eras, the, the SUVs were not as prevalent. So right. if you were if you were somewhat older and you wanted a large comfortable car, you went to the Avalon. It made sense. Nowadays, if you're somewhat older and you want a large comfortable vehicle, you're probably buying a Highlander. You yeah, know? or Your even grand- something, even like a, cl- a a lower like segment uh, crossover will feel spacious. Yeah, you know, like a Rav4. It's easier or, to or get in and out of than sitting down into a vehicle. Um, you have room for your grandkids when they come over. It's it's stuff like that that's really kind of shifted. And of course, relentless marketing <laughs> has shifted yes. has shifted people away from large sedans. We already know no one buys large luxury sedans, and it's not surprising that no one really buys Toyota's biggest sedan either because it's not a focus for them. And they already offer a really great midsize that does everything the Avalon does except in a slightly smaller form factor. And they mm-hmm. offer a really great crossover in the RAV4. So why why would you feel the need to go to Avalon? And truly, the the price difference between an all-wheel drive Avalon and an all-wheel drive Camry is $10,000. It's not insignificant, in my opinion. And, and I think the Camry does everything that you'd probably expect out of an Avalon with slightly more cramped rear seat space. I, I can't imagine spending $10,000 more on an Avalon. Yeah, on, than a Camry, right? Yeah, there's absolutely no reason to do that. <laughs> there's not. Uh, I, not to knock the Avalon, which is a perfectly acceptable automobile. But Yeah, no. and I did like, – I, I am going to add the driving aspect of it was really solid. With the exception, as, as I mentioned, a little bit of grittiness in that, in that low-speed steering. Shout out to gritty re- Philadelphia Flyers. Yes. Um, I really did enjoy driving the car. It was comfortable. It was it was really like uh, confident feeling in many situations. It just was slow, um, and I felt like there was no way I was really going to pick up 
um, good speed on the highway or, or cruise at a higher speed than, than usual. So what you're saying is there won't be an Avalon in Fast and Furious 10 when they go to space. They're not going to go to space in an Avalon. I don't think so. I really don't. I don't know. Where do you uh, think the name Avalon came from? Do you mind if I ask? Where is, what does that mean? Avalon? It's a, it's a, it's a, the name of a, um, like a city that historically or fictionally was a paradise. Perfect. That's a great way to describe it. I actually think it might be the name of a poem okay. about that, but I, I might be wrong. Um, oh, no. Here we go. Avalon is an island from Arthurian legend, King Arthur. So that's why it was a, it was associated with mystical practices and figures. Um, so that's now that's where it came from. You've heard it here. If you left this podcast with anything, you've learned what Avalon is. You learned about King. When's the there. last time you thought about King Arthur? This honestly, rarely. You know, <laughs> only when I'm struggling to fall asleep. Only when you're struggling to fall asleep. Does King Arthur's visage float in front of your face and demand an account of your life, Sammy? Defend yourself. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so, so is that it for Avalon? Is that that, uh... that is it for Avalon? I want to start talking a little bit about some things that we left in the in last week's podcast. Um, a couple of commenters reached out to us, or, or, re, or lis- you mean listeners, listeners commented on what we said last week, specifically about our our favorite drives of the year. And one of the things that I said was I really enjoyed my time with the um, Polestar. I said that I think it's like, it's going to end up being a, a higher quality vehicle than. Than some of the Teslas out there, and I and I got I got a pretty good talking to by um, one of our listeners, Tobias, um, who um, who said that there's been some pretty significant recalls on the Polestar too. And how can I justify my my discussion of, of quality when almost every single Polestar two sold, I believe, in Europe was uh, was recalled? That's a good point, Sammy. That's a good point. I mean, if they're trying to be more like Tesla. Then that's not a bad way to do it. <laughs> so I think, the, first of all, it's 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 definitely worth bringing up this um, this almost all cars were, were recalled not just once I think twice. Well, if we think um, about our, our call, friend of the show and colleague uh, Jody Lai had a very negative experience with the Polestar Two. Is that not correct? Uh, a Polestar One, Polestar One, which is a far more expensive. But a lower volume vehicle. So, so she ended up to, with a vehicle where she was, I believe, trapped inside because the door handle stopped working on the driver's side. Yeah, she and, had to leave out the at the at the out of the passenger side. And they told her at, that it was a problem at the dealership with delivery, and that it somehow uh, something hadn't been installed properly by the dealer, which seems like what the door. I don't understand. Yeah, that seemed really that. weird. Anyway, um, it, she was assured that it was like a one-off thing, and we were all kind of accepting of that at the time because I mean, crap happens, whatever. But if you combine this with what Tobias is telling us. Then, uh... so what, what I have read and understood about the about the Polestar 2 is t- just over 2,000 models have been recalled. They have lost power while driving. Not a good thing to happen. No, and never. then uh, another, uh, another recall occurred where they would replace the faulty inverters on delivery uh, on customer vehicles. So two recalls, essentially. No injuries, no accidents, nothing serious has happened. But it is dis- it is a bit discouraging for a product that is meant like Polestar is supposed to be the 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 shining star of Volvo Geely's or Geely's EV future, and for them to be on this already on a speed bump is not a great way to start it off. Uh, I, another listener wrote into us, Blake, longtime listener of the show, uh, who wanted to talk about some of the vehicles that he was looking forward to in 2021. 
and uh, just talk about, you know, he, he was – when we were talking about – I mentioned the C8 was something that I was impressed with uh, for 2020. But he kind of felt the same way in that uh, the C8 is impressive for what you get for the money, but he prefers the experience of the C7. That's something I very much agree with. Uh, it's it's just, uh, you know, that difference between refined and raw, I guess, even though the C7 is still quite refined in a lot of ways. But um, he mentioned the BRZ and GT86 that are coming out with new models in 2021. We haven't really talked about it on the podcast, Sammy. I know you're a BRZ owner for a long, long time. Uh, but the big deal is it's getting a new motor. And uh, that motor is theoretically not going to have the torque dip that everyone complains about with the current car, but it also doesn't have the turbo that everybody wanted. So what's your take on that? So I, I'm curious about this because there's a couple of things, not just with that that motor. And, and first of all, it's a it's a tiny bump in horsepower, I think 15 horsepower in pound feet or something. So we're now at 228 horsepower and 184 pound feet of torque, which I think actually that that torque figure bump is pretty nice. But um, I, I'm also curious about this. This peak figure comes in at 7,000 RPM, which is um, which is 400 400 RPM less than the than the last one. And I thought one of the more fun aspects of the the first generation product was bringing it all the way out to because anything over 7,000 RPM is is wild. Like it, it's a very entertaining experience, um, visceral, even if you're not going very fast. Right. I, I, you know, I wish there. I, I really don't know what to think about this car. I'm gonna have to drive it. I was worried okay. it would become heavier. It doesn't seem to have become heavier. It I got a hundred a hundred pounds heavier. Okay, a hundred pounds heavier with the kind of horsepower that's not really gonna make up for that. I mean, I think it's gonna be very similar in terms of straight line speed, which is fine. My, my this car is, isn't a straight line speed kind of car. That's though, what I'm right? saying. Like, but we've had the conversation in the past on this podcast about how I feel that. It would be a missed opportunity to not go after the straight line speed crowd in terms of sales. Uh, I think that they could really clean up. If like people, how if they put a turbo in it, it wouldn't be hard for it to be a pretty impressive straight line. Product. Exactly. You know what I mean? at, like at least, it would be the easiest thing for them to do and, and impress enthusiasts. Uh, so, even I think even the most staunch, uh, hard headed enthusiasts who are all about their V8s or or something like that. If they saw this car in action with a turbo with like what 350, 300 horsepower, it would be a blast, right? It's already a blast, so it would be. I think it would be better, and I think it wouldn't be a case of too much power just making it a mess and not being enjoyable. I think there is a happy medium they could come to with this car, but I have a few theories, Sammy, as to why this hasn't happened. Now, my my first theory. They're going to make that version of the car. It's going to come later, and it's going to cost more, and they're going to brand it STI, and that's just how they're going to do it for this we generation. We thought they were going to do that with the first generation, and they didn't. But the market has changed, and it's a great way. We all know the the the, the sales curve for sports cars. You sell a whole bunch of them in the first year, and then it falls off a cliff. So right. a great way to pick up that curve is to offer a more powerful motor a little later on. Or if you're Toyota, offer a more powerful motor the second year and screw everyone who bought the first year, which is what they did with the Supra. So that's a that's like a one and a half in terms of what might happen. <laughs> they might right. just go for it the second year. But my, my other more serious... Um, theory is they just might not have the production to do this they might not have enough it might be impossible from the profits this car doesn't generate to justify building a lot of them so they have a car that they know has a niche they know how many they can sell they know how much production line space they can devote to the brz and the gt86 or just the 86 whatever you want to call it and that's what they've decided to do 
and they're going to market to those people and just keep it in the portfolio. This is weird um, because the motor exists. There is a there is a turbocharged version of the two liter motor that was in the last generation model in the WRX. Okay, okay? it exists. So why are they holding? Why are they holding well, on to it? Where, that was. Where, are you sure that was the same motor? Because isn't that was the WRX one a direct injected one? I don't remember. I believe so. Yeah, the okay. the, the most recent WRX motor is essentially the same block. Sorry, maybe I'm I'm being I'm being a bit um, general. I'm generalizing a little bit, but it is a two liter four cylinder boxer engine. What I believe the same block as the um, as the one that's in the BRZ in in the last gen BRZ. So it it should be able to do it. The other aspect is if they put a turbo in this, what happens to the enthusiast who would who would get the WRX or the STI? I don't think it's the same market. And then finally, we've got a couple of other things, interesting things coming down the pipeline with other automakers. We've talked about the Nissan, the new Nissan Z, and I think we're and the new Supra has gained some fans as well. Um, I'm curious to see if Subaru is willing to play in that segment yet or if they just want to stay on the outside for anybody who is who is put off by the price range or the price tag of those more powerful vehicles that's a really that's a really good question that that is a very interesting thing to think about um honestly i am looking forward to it because i don't think the, the the weight difference is that significant i think i said about 100 horsepower they say the lightest version of the car will be two twenty eight hundred and fifteen 2815 pounds which i still think is is um is lightweight by today's standards standards and um, it's also managed to get a little bit lower than the last one somehow, which is uh, already a quite a low vehicle. And the added torque and horsepower should make it um, a little bit more entertaining consistently than the last one, which you really had to work hard to be um, entertained with. So uh, I think that wraps us up for this piece episode. Sammy, if people wanted to hear past episodes, how could they do that? There's two ways they can do it. First of all, if they go to our website, they go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and they can see a list of all of our previous episodes, as well as links and photos of the cars that we are, we are driving, or we were driving. And additionally, they can subscribe to our podcast using a, a set of buttons on the top of the, uh, of the website. Additionally, if they just go to their podcast client, their podcatcher, if you will, will you? I will. Thank you. Uh, if you just go to that, you can uh, see all of our past episodes and you can listen to them whenever you feel like it. Um, I really wouldn't binge it. There's just way too much Benjamin hunting to take in. And Sammy had just that. But if that's the way you want to do it, I'm not, I'm not going to stop you. And if you want to get in touch with us like Blake and Tobias did this week, there's a lot of ways you can do that. The easiest way – well, actually, they're all pretty easy. On the same uh, website that Sammy was talking about, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, there's a form where you can fill in your information – well, not your information, your questions, your comments, your – your um, criticisms, I guess. And uh, <laughs> submit, click submit and that goes right to our inbox. You can also email the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or you can hit us up on social media. Sammy prefers the cesspool that is Twitter. He is Sammy, uh, sorry, at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. I am on Instagram where you can find me at HuntingBenjamin. Um, additionally, if you do want to send us those critiques, please provide a rubric and perhaps a grading structure so that we can improve in the future. That would be great. Being constructive <laughs> is always preferable. Uh, and Sammy, what are you going to be driving next week? Um, that is a secret, man. I will tell you all about it another time. Okay. And also a secret for me. So we'll see you next week, everybody. Thank okay. you. Take care. Bye.